Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, and as always, I'm very happy to have all of you uh, with us for today's show. Um, We're going to take a slightly different approach to Political Rewind today. We're going to uh, get try to get a handle and a better understanding of the minority voices um, in the state of Georgia. And we're going to do that um, with this in mind. Uh, in looking over the 2020 census uh, figures for Georgia, um, we realize that the white population here is uh, declining somewhat rapidly. Uh, according to the 2020 census, uh, whites represent about 52% of the state. Hispanics are 10.5, about 11 percent. African Americans are uh, 31 percent. And Asian Pacific Americans are about five and a half percent of the state. So when you start combining all of those minority non-white populations, you realize that we are increasingly becoming a state that um, is going to see uh, minority groups have more and more influence on everything from our politics to the economics, the businesses of the state. And, and I'll add one more, what I thought was a really interesting uh, uh, piece of data here. The Census Bureau creates something, created something called the, the um, Diversity Index. And what the Diversity Index is all about is they say, if you were to pick any two people at random in a given state, it is likely that they would each represent different racial or ethnic groups. Interesting. In 2010, the Census Bureau said the Georgia Diversity Index was about 59%, the likelihood that any two people would represent different ethnic or racial groups. That's grown in 2020 to 64%. So you can see that increasingly our neighbors are likely, perhaps, to look differently uh, than uh, we do. Uh, so we're going to talk with uh, the, um, the leaders of three organizations that have come together to form the Ethnic Media Collaboration, three news organizations that have decided to join forces to expand their reach, to expand their influence in their own communities and well beyond. And I thought it was a perfect day that we have uh, the boss, the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on, Kevin Riley. Kevin, to get a chance to talk to these leaders of other news organizations in the state of Georgia. How are you today, Kevin? I'm good, and I'm really glad to be here for a couple of reasons, Bill. First, of course, I've had the good fortune to get to know some of the leaders of these news organizations and not only know the great work they do, but the commitment they make to serving their audiences. And then the other thing is, for the listeners, this is a look at Georgia. We are a microcosm. Every important thing that's going on in our country is going on in Georgia. And I think the more all of us can understand what's going on, the better decisions we can make and the better place Georgia will be to live. So I'm really looking forward. Your audience is going to find out that there are some pretty committed and smart people running these news organizations. 
That's exactly right. Let's introduce them. Um, Rene Alegria is the CEO of Mundo Hispanico. And of course, most of you out there know that Rene is a pretty regular uh, panelist on the show. Um, I know that this has been a very important project for you, Rene. But even before we get to that, let's point out today, by coincidence, is Cinco de Mayo. It's Mayo, yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes. did i say yeah i said mayo <laughs> well it might as well be for all the importance it has <laughs> go to mayo right happy feliz cinco de mayo Bill, and thank you so much for for having me as always we should point out that cinco de mayo is one of those kind of manufactured holidays i mean here in this country I mean, not that we don't want to pay tribute to the Mexican culture and community in the United States, but it was really uh, kind of a manufactured holiday that uh, isn't much celebrated in Mexico, but it's become a big deal for bars and restaurants uh, in the United States, right? Yeah, well, it's it's, uh, another day, an excuse to eat a lot of guacamole and do a few tequila shots. (laughs) Uh, You know, obviously, it's, it's an important day in that, you know, it allows... Uh, Hispanics to talk about Hispanic issues and culture. It, so it's it's a doorway that we can walk into, right? Um, yes, it is a Hallmark holiday. It's not Mexican Independence Day or anything. And frankly, Mexicans in Mexico snicker at our celebrating Cinco de Mayo in the United States the way we do. It was a uh, it's to commemorate a battle that the Mexicans won against the French uh, in the 19th century. And so it's not Mexican Independence Day, per se, which happens in September. Uh, Thank you for explaining that, everybody. We're we're also joined by the publisher of Georgia Asian Times, Lee Wong. And and Lee, this is an important month for Asian Pacific Americans. May is Asian Pacific American Month, um, right? That's correct. We are in the midst of celebrating that right now as we speak. And and it's interesting to me that it that I mean, Asian Pacific American Heritage Month essentially celebrates two different anniversary uh, dates. In on May seventh, eighteen forty three, the first Japanese uh, immigrated uh, to the United States. But probably um, also of incredible importance is that on May 10th, 1869, the Transcontinental Railroad was completed and, of course, done almost uh, completely by uh, imported Chinese labor, which was in many ways a dark part of the history of Chinese Chinese coming to this country and being tasked with building the railroad. But nevertheless, obviously something to commemorate, yes? Yeah, that's correct. And uh, it was originally started in uh, during Carter administration, and it celebrated only for a period of one week. And then it naturally evolved as the Asian American Pacific Islander population in as a whole in America grew. And um, so here we are. And the celebration now is has become a, a month long celebration. And, and how long has Georgia Asian Times been publishing? We started back in 2004 as a newsprint. Yes. Yeah. 
All right. Thank you for being here today. We're also joined by James Washington, who's the president um, and general manager of the Atlanta Voice, which of the uh, 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 news organizations serving the minority community, James, yours has been around for the longest. You told us before the show, I said 50 years, 57 years that you've been publishing, right? That's correct. 57 years. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here uh, representing the publisher, Janice Ware, who had a previous engagement, uh, who is the second generation uh, owner publisher of, of this organization. Her dad, J. Lowell Ware, started it um, 57 years ago, as a matter of fact, during the height of the civil rights movement, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all right, Kevin, of course, I welcome you to uh, engage with me and, and uh, ask questions of this uh, group, great group. Um, but if you don't mind, I'm going to start things off. And, and Renee, let me start with you. Talk a little about, bit about this ethnic media collaboration, why it's important, who it's going to serve. And just give us more information about why you've all come together. Sure. We... Um Look, the, as you as you stated before you began introductions, the demographics of the state of Georgia are changing. The demographics of the United States is changing. Um, we are, as a, as a country, uh, slated to be a minority majority state um, in twenty twenty. Excuse me. Let me see. It's uh, twenty thirty five. And that is not too far away, right? And I, I think that this collaborative, um, as we as we put it together, as, as Lee and Janice and I met, were talking about just the, the issues that are important to our community, uh, really came to the conclusion that we needed to work together to help better represent our communities, to engage with political leaders, business leaders, Georgia as a whole, with understanding what we're here to do uh, as communities of color um, with with the future of Georgia, uh, and and it's quite historic, you know. We we have we have uh, we've wor- we're working together, and that just that doesn't happen very often um, in media in general, but it it even more so does not happen uh, within communities of color. I think I think uh, a lot of communities of color just. Art can be insular. I can certainly speak for the Hispanic community. You know, we, we, we work with our own, we hire our own, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but times are changing. The, the, the demographic shift of Hispanic immigrant to U.S. born or Georgia born Hispanic has shifted. And now there are more U.S. Uh, born Hispanics than there are immigrants in Georgia from the Hispanic side. And that is really fostering a lot of um, a lot of dialogue, right, about what Hispanic parents are going to do with their American-born children, right? And all of that is an ode to the spirit of what we're doing as, as a media collaborative. What are we going to do to get the attention of our leaders and how are we going to engage them to deal with the priorities of our communities? Kevin, you wanted to jump in? Yeah, I wanted to ask Lee, um, uh, uh, who, I, who happens to be, uh, uh, I, I know, a, a very 
fiercely competitive entrepreneur. I'll just put it that way. So, uh, uh, and we in media, of course, you know, can hardly control ourselves. We're always competing, even when maybe we should be working together. So, Lee, how hard was it for you to uh, hold hands and say, look, we are going to be able to do much more together probably than because, you know, I know you've been slugging it out for a long time to establish the Asian times, uh, and, and are very proud of, of what you've accomplished. So, uh, what, what was that conversation like? Uh, who started it? Well, the conversation is very mutual in the sense cordial, uh, but I think the most important thing is we are able to build trust immediately. You know, as the famous Ronald Reagan say, trust by, but verify. So when the three of us get together, we talk, we can come across the conversation that, hey, I, I, I can believe what this person is saying, and I know he's, he or she is going to deliver. So uh, upon that basis, our collaboration just grew, and we keep it very simple in the sense that, you know, uh, in order to make this work, we have to be very effective. So the idea is for us to engage together and host a platform for us to engage uh, Georgia top political leaders to, to address our community of colors in, in, you know, in, in our own way. We are going to ask the question that we wanted to ask, and we want the political leaders to answer to us, to our voice to our audience, to our needs. That's it. <laughs> James, uh, it's it, certainly true that the African-American community here has for a very long time been a powerful force in certainly politics. I mean, we, we see certainly Democrats over decades catering as much as they uh, feel they can and have to to the uh, black community here. Um I, I'm just wondering if um, if you see as as your influence continues uh, to be dominant uh, that this same sort of phenomenon is now starting to resonate in the Hispanic community in the Asian Pacific American community as well. Um, to me, it's not a new thing. All right, we have more in common than we do, or than we don't have in common, if you will. And if you roll over the context of that, we're all in media. Now you're talking to individuals who've been around and basically have been doing the job of the First Amendment, and that is to allow the, our communities to know what's going on and to also talk to the larger community. I don't, and I know the guys on this call don't, look at ourselves as minority media. We are the general market media for our communities. And as a result of that, that is an easy way to connect because I'm going to learn as much about the, uh, uh, the two communities represented here as they're going to learn about us. And that dialogue can happen sometimes one-on-one. -on -one. That dialogue can happen through our products and publications that we do. So why not join forces, if you will, on the commonality of culture? And I know they don't let me out much, guys. So, you know, if you don't want me back, <laughs> you just let me know. All right, because, you know, we, we look at it differently, and that is we live in a country that sometimes looks upon color as the primary thing, but you're talking to three entities who understand culture, 
All right. If you want to talk about culture, now you got the right guys on the on the on the show because culture is what it's all about. Culture for the what does that mean? To help expand on that just a little because that's an interesting concept. I don't 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 stop saying I, they're smiling. I can, but all right. Well, now, as an example, I come here for, out of Dallas, Texas. Uh, let's talk about the Hispanic community. Let's talk about the explosive nature of race there one time. And there's a convening, if you will, of, of, of individuals like this to deal with racial issues in the city from education to politics. The Hispanic community got so angry because they weren't being heard, they started to give their reports in Spanish. Spanish the Spanish language is as much a part of the Hispanic community as anything. But now that's a cultural issue because if you hear that and you don't understand the importance of it, you can ignore it. Well, the the media doesn't allow you to do that. I understand there are similar issues as it relates to the Asian community that are cultural-based. Lee's here. I'm not going to – I cannot speak for him. That's it. If I recognize that, then I might treat the person I'm talking to or about a little bit differently. That's our job, guys. This is an idea whose time has come. This ethnic collaborative that you're talking about, I'm sitting here kind of going, well, you know what? We know each other. You're learning about us, and it's 2022, all right? Lee is probably in more more in a position to tell you because he's the most recent, I think, to talk about the kind of struggle he had just to be heard, just to be recognized. And, and you cannot ever take that from the industry that we represent, which is not the Second Amendment, which gets a lot of hype. We're talking about the First Amendment, and that is what America is all about. I thank you. I I, I love that perspective on this. Um, look, Lee, I want to expand on this notion of growing influence uh, in various communities. Um, I noticed as I look at your website that um, there is what I assume it's an ad. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. That th- there's a there is a box that shows the Republican National Committee celebrating Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, and it includes. A statement from Ronna McDaniel, the uh, RNC chairwoman, who says during Heritage Month, we honor the history, culture, sacrifices of all Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. We welcome you to get involved at the RNC APA community centers and look forward to working alongside you to protect your vote, support law enforcement, and put families first. A very big outreach from the Republican Party to the community. Yes, and our platform is nonpartisan. As long as you are, you have the financial means to to promote your message, we welcome that. But in essence, Georgia Asian Times is basically a platform for the voice of Asian Americans, folks that are born in this country. Keep in mind, Bill, there are a lot of ethnic Asian media out there as we speak in Georgia. There are Chinese, there are Koreans, there are Vietnamese, but you need to dive deeper into their message. The message that most of this ethnic media typically delivers out is oftentimes they are branches of media that originally started from Asia, from the native country. And their, their angle of their, their message or their voice or their political stance 
is slightly tilted to their home country or to their political beliefs. For us, our message is we are all for America. You live in this country. This is your land. You have an interest in it. You have a piece of it. You better stand up for your right. Simple as that. Yeah. So just to be clear, I I pointed out that uh, ad not to suggest that that meant that you were supportive of the Republican Party, but rather that the Republican Party feels that your community is an important one to reach and they're willing to advertise uh, to do it. That was my point in bringing that to the attention of our listeners. Yes, very much so. And as you can see, uh, the the Democrats, Democratic Party also run ads on there. So, yeah, it's, we, we, we have done our job in reaching out to our audience. We have reached audiences that typical media don't even reach. There are so many emerging ethnic Asian-American groups out there that typical media don't even know how to reach them. The, the newly arrived immigrants, refugee groups like the Burmese or the Laotians. We have created podcast series in their own language that communicate directly to them. So we have found a way, you know, a unique way to reach our audiences, which most major media hasn't figured it out yet. Yeah. So, uh, Renee, I'm going to come back to you. You, of course, uh, the three of you announced this uh, this relationship with a bit of a big splash and <laughs> uh, interviewing uh, Stacey Abrams. So I'm sure we're going to get into a little bit about what she had to say. and what. But what I want to know is, how did you get that done? What went on behind the scenes? Um, and talk a little bit about why she agreed to do that. And I just have a sense that uh, you might have had something to do with the, uh, with the backstory there. Well, it, it was great to have her as the inaugural guest of our new Faith of Georgia speaker series. That's what we're calling the speaker series that the uh, Ethnic Media Collaborative is hosting, right? So we certainly want to host other speakers from the right so that we have an objective dialogue that our communities can listen to. I I think what just listening to Lee and and James, um, you know, our our votes, particularly the Hispanic vote, is, is really in play. You know, I think that a lot of folks believe that, okay, we're, we're inherently Democrat, so they're not going to touch us Republicans. Or Democrats are, are, are and this is the sentiment uh, in a lot of uh, Hispanic households, that the Democrats are just taking our vote for granted, right? So they don't make the odes to us to engage in dialogue that is important to our communities. This collaborative and what we're doing aims to fix that. Right. So having Stacey Abrams, who is undoubtedly uh, a political superstar, uh, embrace this. And and I mean, it was we didn't have to convince her or her team uh, too much to understand what was at stake if she spoke. Um, And the the engagement of our media, not not just our three. Right. We had other media from just the various communities of color they're covering as well. So it amplified that speaker series and what Abrams had to say in answering our questions tenfold. 
And that went directly to the communities of color that we represent. And that's what made it so monumental. Um, it was a good day. And I'm definitely looking forward to interviewing uh, folks on the Republican side, Kemp, uh, Walker, Warnock on the Dem side. You know, there's a lot of folks I think we can we can uh, ask questions to whose answers um, may not be a, a conduit to our communities uh, the way that you think they would if they were published in general market media. All right, let's do this. Um, Renee, with that, you've set us up for what I'd love to talk about with our three panelists and Kevin when we come back from a break. And that's what are the top issues in your communities in this 2022 election year? Are the issues that your communities look at pretty much the same as all of us? Are there different issues that rise to the top in your communities? We'll do that and more after we pause for these messages. I'm joined on Political Rewind today by leaders of four important news organizations in the state of Georgia. Lee Wong is the publisher of the Georgia Asian Times. James Washington is the president and general manager of the Atlanta Voice. And Renee Alegria is the CEO of Mundo Hispanico, which I failed to point out at the beginning of the show, uh, Renee, is one of the most viewed websites in the Hispanic world today. I think you're number two, perhaps number three in terms of total uh, readership. Yes? Correct. Three three nationwide. Um, all right. Let me start with this. Um, and, and James, if I may, let me start with you on this. So we're, here we are in the 2022 election cycle. Um, tell me a little bit about what you're hearing from your uh, readers about the issues that matter most to them as this election uh, uh, builds momentum. I, I, I will, and I want to come back to a point that uh, uh, Lee made earlier, and you did earlier, too, about the census and uh, the, the recognition of who we are as a group. But our, our you know, the, the African-American community has been shouting these things from the rooftop, and they should not come to to surprise anyone when you start talking about the things that you see in the street, the things that you see under the Capitol, et cetera. So voters' rights are right at the top. Um, um, affordable housing is right at the top. Education is right at the top. I mean, we are a microcosm of the country, so those things that we deem important, if you will, are the things that our community is telling us they want more of. As much as they want more of our coverage of these events, they also want to have our opinion and our point of view listened to and responded to with the same level of, I don't want to say action, activity, respect is kind of the iffy word right now, but those are the kind of things that um, uh, we're being told every day. Um, you can't say affordable housing without saying homeless and look at the ethnic makeup of the homeless and not have that as a critical part of what we're doing. Um, but the one thing I would say, you, you said earlier that the census had shown that uh, uh, Georgia was, I believe, 52% Anglo. Well, if you, talk, if you look from our community's point of view and say, uh, what does that actually mean? Well, you know, there's an undercount. We always talk about it in the census, which means Georgia's probably already a majority-minority state. One of the things that I would give credit to the gentleman and the publisher of The Voice about, and that is, would you really be talking to us if you did not have all three of us? 
looking like we're coming together. Georgia is in play, folks. You guys know that. We got a black senator and a Jewish senator in the deep south. Well, well, I do, James, feel like I need to defend this show. We routinely, um, uh, in fact, one of our major uh, goals on every single Political Rewind is to make sure we have a diverse group of panelists that represent uh, the community uh, communities of color uh, uh, on the show. So I, I do feel like we're making that effort. We don't go far back, enough, back and, and we continue so. to try to expand that. All right, well, and— What's that, and James? All right. You're leading because we're here. I am simply suggesting that someone like a um, Stacey Abrams did not engage us out of the goodness of her heart, if you will. She recognized who we represented, and, uh, and, and Georgia is in play now. Um, is it really purple? Was it turning purple? Was it a fluke, if you will? The growing Hispanic, Asian, African-American community now is in play because it is. It has impact, real impact, on the voting process, the election process, All right. if you will. Fair enough, Lee. What are the? Tell me a little bit about the issues you're hearing about from the uh, the people who read Georgia Asian Times. Um, of course, a lot of the Asian American community here, are entrepreneurs and small business, and number one, economy, jobs. Those are the key ones, and of course, with the March 16 spa shooting and all that, all the fiasco that happens around the country on Asian hate crimes. Personal safety, public safety is key. Uh, access to quality healthcare educations are also top on the uh, engagement discussion. Um, especially in Atlanta, affordable housing is key especially for young, young homeowners, because right now in the demographic in Atlanta, nobody can afford to buy a home with the prices keep going up right now. Yeah. I'm going to guess that many of, of the issues that we've talked about so far um, are also of great, great concern, obviously, to, to the community you serve as well. Um, but, you know, I know you, you also have good political insight. Uh, I mean, talk about, you know, the issues, but also point out, hey, pay, you know, to people listening to the show, pay attention to this issue during the election, because this issue will be really important to that. Who are you directing uh, to that to? Uh, you, you, to? You want Renee to answer that, or Lee, or James? Yeah, it, it, I know Renee well, so I'm really putting, I'm really pressing him to uh, to on this one. But give us that thing to really pay attention to as we watch politics play out this year. Look, I, I, I it's it's a great question. Um, I, I think that the Hispanic community, in terms of our political priorities, are much more nuanced than what a lot of folks give us credit for, right? A lot of folks just identify the Hispanic community as a one-issue immigration umbrella community. And while immigration and everything associated with immigration is very important to us, uh, primarily because of the tone that people use when talking about immigration, you know? I mean, th it raises the hackles across the board, you know? Folks, there, there's a form of immigrant bigotry that our community is really unfortunately used to. The process is broken. Um, 
we are a bit jaded as a community as to what the process is. We know it needs to change, and we want folks out there with a vision of how to change it. Um, but that's not the singularly most important issue to the Hispanic community. Um, I, I, I will echo uh, Lee in that uh, the economy, affordable housing, um, small business entrepreneurs is huge in the Hispanic immigrant community. Um, a lot of times our, our folks are not climbing the corporate ladder, right? And that, that means that we have to create our own businesses to support our family, which means that we need, you know, the banks involved. We need access to more capital to start these businesses, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, all of this to say is that it's so rare to hear Georgia politicians and business leaders, for that matter, even bring up the Latino vote, Latinos, Hispanics. To hear us in the dialogue, uh, the discourse, is something that we pay attention to. So the candidates that are actually out there and have a plan, have a, uh, you know, ha have, have a stance on, on us being a part of Georgia, those are the candidates that we're going to certainly pay a lot more attention to. Um, Lee, and how does that resonate with your your thinking about this issue? Renee says the Hispanic uh, population, which is at this point considerably larger than the Asian Pacific population of Georgia, uh, isn't getting uh, listened to or, or, or isn't being addressed by a lot of the political leadership. How is that playing in your community? Well, Simple, Bill. As you can see, there are a lot of young Asian Americans getting into politics themselves. You know, mm. since their voice are not being heard, as you can see, there's a growing pool of young Asian Americans that are coming into the midterm elections and uh, in in various positions. So, yeah, you know, the the certainly as I I second what Renee. Is uh, mentioned earlier, um, the the concerns of Asian Americans are always easily sidelined. You know, it's just only a side piece, um, and our voice needs to be heard louder and clearer. Our our needs are also very very simple. It just needs to be addressed by the right leaders uh, within the system. Uh, Lee, I, I'm glad you uh, brought up the fact that there are efforts to get more um, Asian Pacific Americans into politics. You had a story on your website that I looked at last month. There's a new PAC, Advancing Asian Americans Political Action Committee, which was launched, I think, down in Peachtree or out in Peachtree Corners. And it's all about identifying and supporting uh, Asian Americans for political office. Um, that's a huge development in terms of how a minority community opens the door to power. Exactly. As you can, you, 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 I'm glad you, you brought that up because um, the new PAC, the, the, the founders of it are successful entrepreneurs themselves. And they started with a very simple discussion saying that how can they make a difference within the community and get the voice of Asian American heard. And they say the best way is we got to put um, Asian American elected officials in the system 
so that they can champion our voice. Because right now, a lot of the agendas that Asian Americans stood for or what the minority communities stood for are easily sidelined with all other noise out there in the system. So, yeah, you, you're right. The PAC, the Advancing Asian American, is non-partisan. They promote any qualified and, uh, Asian American candidate who is running for office. Yeah. James, the African-American community has had a much, much longer history, of course, of uh, hoping, of, of, of working to make sure that uh, blacks are well represented in elective offices in the state of Georgia. The problem is that uh, even with a large percentage of African-Americans in the Georgia legislature dominated now by Republicans, it's very difficult for that voice to make the kind of difference you and your community want it to. And of course, SB 202, voting rights, probably the clearest example of that. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the, I, to echo everybody else and uh, uh, what's going on, we have to recognize some of the, and I'm not, I'm not minimizing any other areas, but if you look at politics and business, that's what this country is all about. That's where you can gain leverage, if you will, by advancing entrepreneurship, et cetera, and also participating in the political process. So that coupled with recognizing the growing voter base of the communities on this show right now, astute politicians see that. So now they are, I don't know if you'd say forced, uh, but the vote is starting to be so important that I think you said 5.5% of the Asian population, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a difference in an election. The, yes. the 31%, the 10%, those are differences in election, and smart politicians, whatever party they're from, can no longer afford to do historically this, what we would call, what did you call it, uh, uh, Lee? I mean, uh, immigrant bigotry is what you use. I just, I'm just going to say community bias and community bias that did not address the issues that are important in this community could cost you an election right now. And I like what yeah. uh, I said earlier because now the participation part is coming along. Once you get the participation coming along, now you got the community wanting to participate in, in the political process. This is really an exciting time. I think you're at the precipice, if you will, of, of, of it's real, very exciting for us, at least over here at the Voice it is. Renee, I know you want to get, or Kevin, why don't you go ahead? Um, Lee, I wanted to come back to something that you, you mentioned in passing, but, but it was really uh, an important moment and tragic one in our community. And I want to give you plenty of room to answer this question. So when the, the, the tragedy of the spa shootings, and that story actually continues as, as the man accused of the crimes makes his way through the court system. But that story, what was it like for the Asian Times to cover? And what, what went through your mind as you did that? Because in many ways, no one did a better job with that story than you did because of the connections and the people. And, and I know that might be very hard for you to talk about. So approach it in any way that you want. But it, it, that was a moment that you really demonstrated an incredible commitment 
to to your community and i would love to know what that was like well um it is one of those moments that uh you know you you have to ask yourself how can you make a difference in 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 this incident um when the spot shooting happens around 4:30 or 5 about 6:30 my reporter who's covering on the ground already updated us uh, in the office what's going on. By 7 p.m., my personal phone is ringing off the hook through my personal contacts around the world. I got calls from South China Morning Post in Hong Kong. I got calls from The Guardian in London. I got calls from all the major newspapers around the world asking me, what is going on? What is happening down on the ground? So I just gave them the quick update, what is going on, based on the brief report that I've been receiving from my reporter. That's one. Number two is we consciously are reporting about the stories about from, uh, from the victim perspective. Oftentimes, the major media just sideline the victims themselves. This is just another shooting incident. And in fact, uh, the... The sheriff from Clayton County even sidelined, oh, the guy just have a, a bad day. That sentence actually erupted the furious, the furiousness in the Asian American community here in Atlanta. How can you treat such an incident just a, a bad day? You know, this is a conscious, deliberate effort by a, a, a lunatic trying to assassinate folks from our community. And you just call it a, a, a bad day? Everyone has a bad bad day, but not in that sense, you know? So uh, we want to not just raise the consciousness about this tra tragedy, but we share it with all the news media around the country and the world, what is going on here, the injustice. So that in that capacity, I'm proud that Georgia Asian Times play a role in, in this storytelling. And thanks, Kevin, for allowing me to speak about this. And this is a very emotional subject for me personally because I, 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 I know some of those victims, members, family, and it, it's hard till now to speak about it. Yeah. Lee Wong, thank you uh, for uh, being willing to, to talk about that, and Kevin for, for giving him the chance to do that. Uh, we got to get to a final break of the show. When we come back, we'll have a few more minutes to continue with this wonderful panel today. Um, we're running a little bit short on time, but I would love to try to talk at least briefly about a couple stories that I saw on uh, the websites of your organizations. Um, so in your case, Renee, I, you made a very, very uh, strong and important point about the fact that the Hispanic community isn't a monolithic force around the issue of immigration as being the only thing that matters. On the other hand, Mundo Hispanico is certainly monitoring what's going on with immigration very closely. You uh, put up a piece uh, just the other day, Migrant Invasion, Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, is talking about declaring the people coming across the border as an invading force and looking to take uh, perhaps military action against them. So 
while it's not the model, you're not focused solely on that, that's a big, important story to your community. Sure, of course it is. And immigration, uh, you know, it is, it is important. But if you, if you take a look at that story and you take a look at what's happening in Texas, um, the governors along the border states, you know, there's a lot of uh, political theatricality happening there and scapegoating, using Hispanics as the other for votes. We sense that. We know that. It's, you know, we've, we've seen it happen for decades and decades. Um, we can see through it. It still angers us, of course. And when we see it happening in Georgia, you know, you're going to contend with a younger Latino voter who is clued in. The average age of the Georgia Latino voter is 26 years old. Excuse me, that's the average age of the overall Georgia Latino compared to 41 uh, with uh, the white population. Um, Half the age, consider that. So the way that this generation um, soaks in information and then acts upon it through social media, uh, it's, it's about capturing the messages of, say, Governor Abbott in Texas and pushing it through so that everybody knows. We do it all the time. Um, and, and through that conduit, we're able to, of course, reach our community. But look, it's, uh, this hate-mongering is never good for, for anyone, particularly communities of color. Um, James, uh, we've all, Kevin Riley's news organization, we at Political Rewind, our news team, we've all been covering the leaked uh, abortion opinion um, but your publication, you posted a story uh, the other day, which deals with a very specific issue in the black community. With abortion in jeopardy, minority women have the most to lose. That's the kind of story that's more likely to come up uh, in Atlanta Voice than it is in the so-called major main other news organizations. It's, and that's, you're correct. And that's because of what, we, what we're all talking about. And that becomes one of where each each of our individual publications has something that is not uniquely ours, but if you isolate the publication, it'll appear that way. But if there's anybody on this panel, and and Renee included in this, that could understand the pain that Lee was talking about, it would be us because we're watching folks get killed on television. All right. There's a, there's this exclusionary piece. And all I would say is on the voices, because I know we're short of time, we have black folks. Remember the color issue I was talking about. A number of black folks over here who are from Africa and the different countries in Africa. Well, each one of those countries goes and speaks to the issue of what Lee was saying in terms of you have an Asian community that's made up of that's certainly not monolithic. So that particular perspective came from black women looking at abortion. And if you look at abortion, not as a snapshot of a Supreme Court decision, but you have to go backwards because it's more a, new, a movie than a snapshot. And if you followed that all the way through, then you could see where black women would be more concerned about it because of the nature of how it will affect our community in terms of who gets abortion, et cetera. I'll give you a wild one and you can move on. In our community, they're saying, well, you know, everything's focused on women. Why don't we start focusing on men and have men have pills inserted into them so they can't have children at the age of 13? 
Wow. Mm. You should hear that dialogue in our kitchen. <laughs> you know, oh, coming my from, God. <laughs> you know, because now you're going to talk about, all right, well, if that's the case, um, who's going to take care of the kids, et cetera, et cetera. You can take a baby to a police station or a fire station. But what if that was sanctioned by law? The same way abortion, abortion is out dealing with law. Yeah. Well, now you have yeah. to look at all the other issues, education, housing, all, all these things. So why is it singularly an issue that is targeted towards women? And the African-American women over here are starting to say, why don't you singularly focus on men? It takes two to make a baby. Kevin, jump in. Hey, Lee, uh, one of the things that becomes clear in this conversation is to be wary of describing a community in monolithic terms. And it, it seems to me that that's a particular challenge. Um, Asian, you know, it, it, it covers an awful lot of ground, uh, depending on how you want to define it. So how do you manage that? Or what would you what what is important for us to know about, you know, how we describe a community, especially in the world you're working in in media? Well, um, as I mentioned many times in the forum together, Kevin, is the Asian American community in Georgia, they are over 28 or 29, the last time I, I lost count, uh, ethnic groups out there. They all come from different cultural backgrounds, different languages, but under the umbrella of this big word called Asian American Pacific Islander. They have different language uh, styles the, and, and, and cultural background, very unique in their own way. So our platform is addressing this audience in English because the young Asian Americans, typically, number one, their language of choice is in English. Number two, if they were to study a second language, it will be their native language. Most of the time, they can converse and hear and listen, but they cannot write or read well in those languages. So that is a, a, a common thing among Asian Americans, and most mainstream folks don't don't understand that. You know, yeah. Uh, Lee Wong, we give you give you the last word in today's conversation because we are completely out of time. I did want to take just a little bit of the time that's left to say that um, all of our listeners can go to your websites and read your news, uh, starting with you, uh, Lee Wong. It's G A. It's it's G A S I A N Times dot com. So not a double A there. Um, we'll put that up on our on our social media so people can see it. The Atlanta Voice is the Voice dot com, uh, and uh, Renee, of course, Mundo Hispanico is Mundo M U N D O Hispanico. Uh, dot com. And for those who don't read uh, uh, Spanish, you can translate it to English through uh, Google. So it's been a terrific conversation. Uh, Lee Wong, James Washington, Renee Alegria, and my good friend and editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Kevin Riley. Thank you for today's show. We're back with another show tomorrow, of course. And in the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Please take care, stay healthy, and when you get a chance, read what these terrific people are reporting on on their websites. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>